3: this is the overtime podcast network
2: welcome
0: to the mailbag my name is scott mason you can follow me on twitter at play like a jet one and i am joined as always by the owner the operator the lead reporter the whole shebang over at jetsinsider.com, and of course above all of that a very big deal mr chris nimbly hey chris what do you think you think we got a few questions this week
3: I th- I think there might be one or two in there. Maybe maybe squeeze a third out or, you know, 3,000.
0: something. Like yeah, something along those lines. So we're going to get to all of them. It's going to end up going a couple of different parts because we want to get to everybody's questions because we know that there are a ton of them based on what just went down. So we will start with the first handful. We'll work our way through. And like I said, it's going to be a couple of parts, but we will get everybody's questions answered. And we will start with Michael Palace. He says, I know that Adam Gase had a losing record in Miami, but for what it's worth, he was missing his starting QB for all of 2017 and another five games in 2018, but did manage to make the playoffs in 2016 when Tannehill was fully healthy. Given this, should the Jets consider the Seahawks front office model GM with personnel control to the head coach? Pete Carroll wasn't exactly considered a good NFL coach before Seattle hired him and gave him full control. I'm going to say no. For a variety of reasons. First of all, Pete Carroll and Adam Gase are very, very different personalities. Pete Carroll is somebody that understands how to work with other people. He knows how to get the best from people. In fact... When we were doing these shows about the Jets head coaching candidates, I did a few interviews regarding Chris Richard, and one of them was with somebody that covers the Seattle Seahawks. And he said the relationship between Richard and Pete Carroll, who had been together forever, more or less, was one of mutual respect and that even though Pete Carroll had the final say, he always took Richard seriously and knew when to listen and when not to listen. They would have their tussles like anybody else. But that's the type of personality Pete Carroll is. Chris, you and I were talking about this off the air. That whole DK Metcalf thing where he took off his shirt in the draft room. That's the type of personality Pete Carroll is. He's somebody that works well with others. So even if he has final say, it's not the same as Iron Fist Adam Gase. Where it's going to be his way or the highway. Plus, the other thing is... Pete Carroll had way more leverage at the time. If you recall, he was coming off multiple national championships with USC and was a very hot commodity in coaching circles. So Seattle had to offer that up to him in order to get him to leave a very cushy spot at USC. That's not the case with Adam Gase, who, let's be honest, if the Jets hadn't hired him, is either sitting out or ends up taking an offensive coordinator job. So very different situations, different personalities. I also look at the track record in Miami And the roster building was not so great. I know that he didn't necessarily handle the nuts and bolts of it, but he was the one that had to sign off on everything, and it wouldn't give me confidence to have him have full control of the 53-man roster. So I would prefer they brought in somebody else to do that, and Gase could focus on what he's actually good at, which is the X's and O's.
3: Yeah, I'm just not a big fan of uh, uh, anything, having the coach and GM be the same. It's... You wouldn't have – if you're not going to – you're looking for a a lawyer, right? You're not going to go to somebody and hire a lawyer who is also a doctor and also a surgeon and his his off hours there. They're two completely separate jobs that – full-time jobs and more than full-time. You're working overtime in both these jobs. You can't be a – a head coach and do all the responsibilities of being the head coach and also sit there and be diving into film and traveling and scouting and doing all the interviews with prospective players. And and that's just too much to juggle. And uh, there's enough uh, concerns with Gase here to giving him that much power. What I will say is also it'll depend partly on – what ends up happening? What their choices are? It, you know, if they can get Douglas, if they can't get Douglas for whatever reason, and then they have to start going down the list, then maybe you're willing to let Gase have a little more control and just be like, "This is all yours now. You got to turn this around immediately, otherwise, you're out." Um, so maybe, lot, but I'm just not a big fan of doing that at all. It's just, and you have to, if in that situation, you would at least have to have somebody in place enough that he would trust to do all the heavy lifting of the GM work and then just kind of run it past, run that stuff past case and have him make the final decision. But to, I'm just not a huge fan of that. They need to be, they're separate jobs. They do completely different things. There's not a lot of overlap there. I'm much more of a fan of having two separate people do that and then them come and talk and meet in the middle there. Uh, It's just way too much on his plate.
1: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
0: I think if Adam GaSe was somebody that had a general manager in place that was really going to do all the general manager work and technically he had the final say. I wouldn't hate the arrangement if he had a track record of being successful at that. We talked about Pete Carroll. He's done well with it in Seattle. Him and John Schneider have worked together very, very well. Bill Belichick is obviously an outlier here because let's be honest, he's just a freak of nature. He does things in a way that other people are just not capable of but we've seen this in many other places the whole, you gotta let me buy the growth. Is it didn't work out all that well for Bill Parcells. It didn't work out all that well for Mike Holmgren, and it generally doesn't work well. So I think very rare circumstances is that something that is a good idea, and this is not one of them. Next question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, has anybody checked in on Manish today? Dude was melting down over losing his sources However, I'm glad that we did get great reporting on this all along by the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, who was 200% right. I haven't had the opportunity to check in on Manish yet. I think that he's off relaxing. He's taking a time out. He wrote an article earlier today, but he's trying to just calm himself down. As far as Chris goes, I agree. There's a reason why I call him a very big deal, and it's because he's 200% right 200% of the time.
3: Exactly. I, I haven't checked on Manish, but I promise you, Manish is doing just fine. I promise you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As he once joked, the more you click, the more I get paid. <laughs>
3: exactly.
0: <laughs> Next question comes in from Clifton Hopkins. Honestly, who hired Adam Gase? I don't see Mac being part of the process and then losing his job to him. With Gase being in Miami last year and wanting the same thing the Jets just gave him, why wasn't more attention paid to that? It's almost as if Christopher Johnson diabolically planned this all along. So let's start with this. Christopher Johnson doesn't have to diabolically plan anything. If he wanted to fire Mike McCagnon, he was free to do so at any time. As far as who hired Adam Gase conflicting reports about that we know that mccagnon had something to do with it some people say that he had a very active role and pushed for gaze Others have said that this was more of a Christopher Johnson thing, and McCagnon went along with it because he just wanted to please Christopher Johnson. Somewhere in the middle is probably the truth. Either way, I doubt that McCagnon saw this coming. He probably thought that he was safe, especially with Gase just coming in and the Jets really being his only option for a head coaching job. But if that's how Max saw it, he saw it wrong, and now he'll know better for the future. Gotta make sure that you sleep with one eye open at all times when you're around Adam Gase.
3: (laughs) absolutely um the thing is here no matter no matter how it played out and i I don't know exactly how it played out i'll explain what i've been told and how i think it played out in in a second but no matter how it actually definitely played out this was christopher johnson's call it it, he's the owner and this was his call how much of a influence was McCagman? how much uh, was christopher johnson leaning on him and, and Hyman Dinger, too, because don't remember, Remember, he was involved in the process, too. How much of that was their call, I'm not 100% sure. What I've been told, it was more along the lines of they were uh, just kind of trying to read Christopher Johnson and go along with Christopher Johnson and what he said. They weren't trying to give too much pushback, and he wasn't too concerned. Uh, he, the thought definitely wasn't in his head that one of these guys I, I we hire here might come and push me out. I, I really think he thought it, the fact that Bowles got fired and he was safe, I really think he thought, hey, I'm safe, and I'm safe because I drafted Sam Darnold. I really think that's a large part of what went into McKagan in, uh, the, these past uh, few months and whatever. He thought that the reason why he was safe was because of Sam Darnold. And that's an understandable thing to think. It's it's probably it's what most fans and people in the media thought when he didn't get fired at first there, too. So I think he was just kind of willing to go along. He didn't want to give any too much of a pushback, didn't want to be too disagreeable with the owner. So he was just kind of going where with the owner wanted to go. But regardless, whether he was pushing for Gase, whether he was ar- arguing for somebody else and against Gase, the call was Chris Johnson's to make.
0: And you'd think that if he was going to be afraid of anybody that it would be Mike McCarthy because for whatever we want to say about him, he is a guy that had a long resume, who had a Super Bowl on his record as opposed to Gase, who had just been fired and kicked out the door in Miami after three tenuous seasons and who had no other options. So if he was going to be afraid of anyone, it certainly would have been Gase, but I guess this will teach him.
3: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely
2: in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question
0: comes in from John Flesh. This is a very interesting question to ask in the middle of all this craziness. Which recently signed undrafted free agents do you think have a realistic shot to stick on the 53-man roster? I would say Greg Dortch, the wide receiver from Wake Forest, and also Jalen Moore, the running back from Appalachian State. Dortch is a guy that probably would have been drafted if he wasn't so small, but he may stick as a kick returner. And I think Jalen Moore probably would have been drafted if he hadn't had a bunch of injuries. But if he's able to recover from those, who knows? He may end up being good running back depth.
3: Yeah, I would like to offer up different names for you here. I'm definitely going to go with Dortch there. I agree with you on uh, the running back, but Dortch, first off, the whole returner aspect of his ability there makes it, uh, you know, gives him an upper leg, gives him a chance. But there's reasons why these guys are undrafted. And yes, a Robbie Anderson will slip through the cracks, and a Damon Harrison, a Danny Woodhead will slip through the cracks occasionally. And there's a possibility that there's somebody else in these undrafted list that i don't know yet that will absolutely emerge but for right now i can sit here and look down the list and i don't i don't know i can't see it right now i have to wait a, a couple weeks into otas and training camp before that person emerges if that person is here uh again dorch with the return ability there he has and you know he's a very smaller guy but he, he can I could see him being of use on this team. I don't know enough about the other guys, to, and I obviously haven't seen them in person, and I haven't even gotten to talk to them yet, which is weird for this time of year. But for them to, to – they're going to have to show something else that they didn't show on tape and they didn't show in college because, again, there's a reason why they're undrafted. So they're going to have to show up and prove something that nobody else saw before.
0: John's got a couple more questions. He says, we're on the street is below pal is returning to full health. Would the Jets be open to bringing him back? Do the Jets feel their current running back depth is good enough with McGuire, Cannon, and Bell? Also, are the Jets in the market for a center? And if so, who is available that they could target? If not, is Team Brass comfortable with Harrison or another player on the current roster being the full-time starting center? This gets to be a little tricky because now we're dealing with what Adam Gase wants as opposed to what McCaggan wants. As far as center, there have been competing reports. Manish Mehta from the Daily News was saying that Adam Gase didn't want to spend on a center. A couple of other reports said that he did. If it is true that he wanted to spend on a center, I'm sure he'd be looking for some depth there, even if he feels that Jonathan Harrison is better than anything else out there. There is, of course, the possibility that they like John Toth. As a potential backup, he was on the practice squad last year. John Sullivan, who's actually a terrible center, is still on the free agent market. There are a couple of other players, and we've talked about Lindsley possibly shaking loose from the Packers, although there are rumors that Jenkins may end up playing guard. So if that happens, and Lindsley would stay at center. As far as the running back depth... I don't think they're going to bring back Bilal Powell. I think it's possible if Gase is nervous about some of the other running backs or if he doesn't think that Montgomery is going to be good enough to spell Le'Veon Bell when he needs him to. I just doubt it, though, because Powell is past 30 years old now. He just had that injury. I don't think they really need him. I wouldn't necessarily be against it, but I think that the odds are fairly slim.
3: Yeah, unfortunately... A lot of we're probably going to get some of these questions uh, and in a similar vein, and that I, we're going to kind of have to punt here on the answers because McTaggan's gone now, so I can't sit here and rely on what McTaggan likes, what I know about McTaggan, what he's done in the past. Uh, now it's Adam Gaze, so we can go back and look at what he's done in Miami to try to figure that stuff out. But right now it's just Adam Gaze, and you know, obviously he made the move to trade Darren Lee. But it's not like I expect him to be making all types of wheeling and dealing moves and do a whole bunch of stuff now. So we're going to also have to wait to see who they eventually bring in for GM. And w- with a Blau Pow answer, like, that would be easier to sit there and, and talk about with McCagnin still here. At least he has the fami- familiarity with him. He knows him and this and that, but he's going to sit there and did it again. Uh, he's going to sit there and bring Blau Powell in, but that doesn't make much sense at this point with how crowded they are there. I, I don't see it. It's Now, if something happens, if Eli McGuire or Trenton Canning gets hurt or they decide they see something and they don't want to have them around, Ty kind of Montgomery gets hurt or something, then I'm sure, I could see it. But right now, they're just, to bring him in at his age with his injury history with Le'Veon Bell already here and all these other young guys, I just don't see it happening at this point. It just doesn't make a lot of sense there.
0: Yeah, maybe it would be a situation where if one of those guys got hurt like Montgomery, they could yeah. reach out to Pal if he was still available, kind of the way that the Jets did in 2010 when they brought Lavernius Coles back for a couple of games. Yeah. But that's about the extent of it, I think. I just don't see it happening right now.
2: This is the Overtime Podcast
3: Network.
0: Next question comes in from Jesus De La Paz Jr. He says, what's Greg Williams' role in this whole mess with Mac and Gase? As far as I can tell, he didn't have much of a role. He was just kind of an innocent bystander.
3: Yeah, and I don't think he had any anything to do with any of this. I think he's probably, I'm, I'm sure he uh, got caught wind of it. He probably saw some things for himself. But I think there's a lot of him sitting here going, what exactly is going on here? Just like the rest of us. Now, fortunately for him, he's been in plenty of situations where he has seen similar things uh, play out before. So it's not like he's too caught off guard by this. He's been in the NFL for a long time. He knows how this goes.
0: Next question comes in from John Frank. He says, What are the chances ownership eventually realizes they are not cut out for having a GM and coach report to them and just hire a president like, say, Joe Banner, who everyone reports to? This guy can filter the noise and streamline feedback and neutralize the influence of the Johnsons. Honestly, I don't really think they need a quote-unquote team president. They just need a general manager who's in charge of everything and simply reports to the owner. That's it. Normal chain of command like anything else. It's the way it should have been all along, and I don't know why it hasn't been that way. If they would have just hired a GM from the get-go and gotten rid of McCagnan and Bowles and had that GM make all the decisions this offseason... I don't know that this would be a problem right now. Let's say they'd have hired Joe Douglas. If Joe Douglas had hired Adam Gase himself, it wouldn't be in this mess. So I just think that really the big problem here is chain of command and not having a strong guy at the top. I don't really think that the title really matters.
3: Yeah, I'm not I get where he was going with the question and I I, I think I agree with his intent there. I'm not gonna hire somebody else to put in the middle of this there. That, I feel like that would complicate it more. What they sh- need to do is have the coach report to the GM who reports to the owner. That's they, they need that type of structure because when you have the GM and the coach both reporting to the owner, you're inviting this with, to sit, sit there and have them throw the other under the bus to play against each other and do all this undermined stuff. You're inviting that. You're creating a scenario with that. And you might even be in a creating a scenario where that happens when it's unintended, where just the two people are trying to say the same thing, but it comes out a little bit differently. So the owner taking it. It just doesn't make sense. You have to have, like you said, a chain of command and you, have a lot of and you get the GM. Uh, the owner, the GM, and the coach. The coach reports to the GM. The GM reports to the owner. The GM is the coach's boss. You have to try to get them on the same timeline, working towards the same goal, not uh, all this mismatch of stuff. And you have to just uh, structure it in a way that makes sense. And this whole both of you report to me thing doesn't make sense, and it just uh, invites disaster and it magnet this is that we saw we saw it play out with Rex and Idzik, we saw it with uh, with Bowles and Macnan and we saw it with Gaese the McCnan now. It's just a recipe for disaster and that that needs a change more change more than anything. and I really don't get why Christopher Johnson is stubbornly clinging to this like hey this isn't the problem at all it, it, it's, it's a problem.
2: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
0: Next question comes in from Ben Marsh. He says, okay, Mac got fired. Timing and reasons seem weird, but after all the crap this week, here's my biggest concern. Gase is the man now. It's out that one of the main reasons that Mac butted heads with him is the Bell signing. Bell is his running back for at least two years. How do you think this is going to work? Well, from Le'Veon Bell's standpoint, I think that he's just going to go out there and be Le'Veon Bell. I've seen him do nothing else the rest of his career. He just goes out there and performs. As far as Case, this is where it could get a little bit interesting because I was talking to Twitter legend Paulie Brzez the other day, and Chris, you and I have talked about this off the air. I wonder if... We see a situation like we did with some of the other players in Miami where if, let's say, Gase isn't feeling Bell's personality or there's something there that doesn't click with him, he looks to try and find a way to move Bell even if it ends up hurting him cap-wise. I hope that's not what happens, but with Adam Gase, I wouldn't rule it out.
3: I wouldn't rule it out either. I will say that something—I I would expect something else would have to happen to make him do something like that. I do think that while Gase didn't want him, he understands uh, uh, the signing. He understands why. He also probably understands that, uh, you know, this was a little bit owner-influenced too, so I I don't think he's, like, objectively against it as much as he just, that's not what he would have done. And also, he's here now. He's paid. He's a... Incredibly talented player who can help this offense in so many different ways. It's just it would be self-sabotage, cut your nose to spite your face right now for him to be trying to do something like that right now with Le'Veon Bell. It just it doesn't make sense. There there doesn't seem. There's no real upside for him trying to do something now at this point. Now, if Le'Veon, if there's some type of incident between them, or if he feels that Le'Veon Bell is somehow, you know, undermining his authority in some way, or he then then this could become a problem down the road. Absolutely, but it's it's going to be it's difficult to imagine that based on everything now that that alone is going to be a problem that Gase is going to be trying to push him out right now he needs to win and he's going to need Le'Veon Bell to do that next question
0: or it's really more of a soliloquy comes in from Stephen Shippenhouse he says if the Jets get Joe Douglas and you were told Bowles and Mac would be fired Douglas Gase GM coach while signing Bell Mosley Crowder trading for a and drafting Quinn Williams and Jakai Polite would you really have a problem with it Don't we need to see how this plays out before we label it dysfunctional? There's precedent and logic to firing GM after the draft. Personally, I'm more concerned with results and optics. For the record, I thought this move would be weird at best. And I never doubted the sources of the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, or his great reporting. But because the timing is unconventional, yet not unprecedented, it looks illogical. If you're a fan trying to force a positive spin, there's always two sides to a coin. And when all the talking heads go one way, I tend to go the other way because I'm a skeptic. So let's go through all this because there's a lot to unpack here. If you would have told me in a vacuum that they were going to get rid of Mack and Bowles and they were going to bring in Douglas and Gase, I would not have been thrilled about the Gase part of that. I was not on board with Gase at any point. I wasn't a fan of his when he was in Miami, and he certainly would not have been my choice in any way. However, I get the general point that, for the most part, they got a lot of key pieces in the offseason. Douglas certainly would be an improvement Over Mike McKagnon. So yeah, that's all true. And yes, this isn't unprecedented. But you have to be careful here. Just because it's been done before doesn't mean that it's something that gets done a lot. And there's a reason it doesn't get done a lot. The reason that it doesn't get done a lot is because this is the chaos that ensues. Generally, ownership has their mind made up. Before the draft because they evaluate and then they go in and they make their decision that's what the whole black monday thing is all about the kansas city thing for instance was much different because you had a much more stable situation there in terms of andy reed being at the helm you do not have that with adam Gase. andy reed has coached 14 teams to the playoffs he's known as one of the most brilliant offensive minds in the league somebody that's developed Tons of coaches that have gone on to success in the NFL. Adam Gase has none of that. He had a three-year stint in Miami and got drummed out at the end of it under very acrimonious circumstances. Really not at all analogous. So you have to be careful there. I understand that optics don't matter as much as results, and 100%, listen, if this team goes 10-6, and 11-5, makes the playoffs, whatever, no one's going to care about any of this. But I think what this really did is it showed everybody that Christopher Johnson doesn't really know what he's doing, and he's kind of indecisive. And it also showed people, if they didn't know already, what Adam Gase was all about. So a lot of people will say, but I knew what Gase was all about, and I knew that Christopher Johnson didn't know what he was doing. That's me. Exactly. Chris, that's what you've been saying. But remember, not everybody is the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. A lot of people, not just that are Jets fans or around the Jets, but also league-wide didn't know these things. So it does look dysfunctional on the surface. And if it works out, cool. But this is definitely not the way you typically want to approach things.
3: I'm going to start with his uh, sentence where he said, you know, shouldn't we all just wait and see how this plays out? No, this is sports. That's not how we We react strongly one way or another, emphatically and strongly right away. And we just cling to it stubbornly. No, of course. Yes. That is the thing that that's pretty much what I'm sitting here. been trying to say is it's, it's all going to depend if they go and they get the, uh, douglas and they get jeremiah or they get one or one of them then it's going to look a lot better because like you we just said if if you sit here and you run through this and get rid of mac who we all can well most people around can agree has not done a good job with the jets they got all those that all season haul that we just that he just talked about mentioned and you bring in a, on what is on paper and upgrade at GM, then that's a win. There's nothing to complain about. It the timing, the optics of it is is bad. And I agree with him here because. This is my thing about it is – and this is this gets me in trouble with other people on the beat, and this will get – I'll tweet something out where I disagree with other people on the beat, and then you get all these annoying people on Twitter who run into – under my tweet and tag the other reporters who disagree <laughs> with me, making it seem like I'm taking direct shots at them. But the simple thing is I just look at things differently than most of the sports media reporters do. If you follow me in my tweets, you can see all the time where reporters are talking about one thing. I'm just like, why do you care about this? This is meaningless. You can hear it and see it whenever I talk about culture. I, like These types of things, I optics, culture, these are all Things that I don't buy. I do not buy into it. The results is what matters. And no matter what ends up happening, if if they go and they win, then this will turn out to be good, at least in the short term. And if they lose, then it'll be bad, at least in the short term. And you can sit here and you can parse it any other way you want. You can try to look for hidden meanings and try to say, oh, it's because of this variable about the culture or about the the, some optic thing it all is going to come down to to being competent and having enough talent now the the jury is still out on both of those things right now they do have more talent right now than they had last year that's obvious the competence there is absolutely still in, in doubt and in question and that's like you just said and where i jumped in for that little it's me thing it's this yes obviously there's concerns about adam gase there's concerns should have been there the entire time those are the reasons why he is not in miami any longer if you don't have concerns about that here in new york i don't understand that then obviously you should have doubts and concerns about christopher johnson i don't understand why the people he has a better sense of you know some PR type stuff than Woody Johnson. He's better with the media than Woody Johnson. He seems to be uh, come across it differently or better, but he hasn't shown anything football wise that would make you think that he was a, a much better owner than Woody Johnson. And maybe he will one day, but right now he hasn't shown that. So I don't know why people got it in this head, except for really just hope. I think they just, just you know, especially for so long, fans have been sitting there claiming about. How? Uh, what he just needs to sell the team. He just needs to sell the team. And I think that they just stubbornly clung to this hope that Christopher Johnson was going to be so much different. But he's new to this, so even if he is light years ahead of Woody Johnson and just average intelligence and running things, he's new to this. There's going to be a huge learning curve. I just, it's, aside from just stubborn hope and clinging to that, I don't get why. And people are surprised that Christopher Johnson seems to be in over his head here.
0: That's going to wrap things up for part one of the mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure you follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly. Go to JetsInsider.com to read all his very big deal work. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.
1: With the Lucky landslots, slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Plus. 18 plus.